Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 16 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. It's point of view week. Yesterday, we talked about the pros and cons of writing first person. Today, we'll talk about the pros and cons of limited third person, which of my favorite writers, they're both locals in Boston, uh, Linda Schlossberg and Whitney Scher. Linda Schlossberg received her PhD in English literature from Harvard, where she now serves as the Associate Director for Studies of Women, Gender, and Sexuality, and teaches courses in gender literature and creative writing. Schlossberg was the recipient of the 2022 and 2019 Somerville Arts Council, Massachusetts Cultural Council grant, as well as the recipient of the Writer Center 2016 Emerging Writer Fellowship. She is the author of the novel Life in Miniature, and the co-editor of Passing, Identity and Interpretation in Sexuality, Race, and Religion. Her work has appeared in a variety of publications, including McSweeney's, The Belladonna, and Post Road. Her new novel, which I have read and love, The Incubator, is represented by um, Avitas uh, Creative Management. And they are also my reps, and they have a new name, and I can never pronounce it properly. Right, Linda? Um, Linda Share has a BA in English from Wesleyan University and an MA in, um, MFA in creative writing from the University of Washington. Her first novel, The Age of Light, was published in 2019 and was a Boston Globe and Indienex bestseller and has been published in over a dozen other countries. Whitney has been awarded a Massachusetts Cultural Council Fiction Fellowship, Ragdale and VSCCA residencies, and a St. Boltoff Emerging Artist Grant, and a Somerville Arts Council Artist Fellowship. Somerville obviously has very good taste because they've awarded you both fellowships, which I'm excited about. Uh, she lives with her husband and daughter in Arlington, my town, where she runs a freelance graphic design business. Yes, she's multi-talented. She can also do graphic design and she's at work at her second novel. Okay, so first off, I want to talk about um, what is third person limited and also define that as opposed to uh, third person close. So yesterday we did talk a little bit about close first person and, and you can do that even in first person. And so that's when the narrative voice and the language that the narrator is using and even the knowledge that the narrator has is very close to the character's voice and the knowledge the character has. So much so that we almost feel that the narrator disappears beneath the character's language and knowledge and storytelling. Um, and so, and that's a, it's a narrative distance issue. And we touched on that when we talked about the author narrator character merge with Steve Allman and Kate Rakulia. And, we'll, and we're gonna do that. Um, we're gonna talk about that more next week. It's narrative distance is very complex. Um, third person limited, however, doesn't have anything to do with narrative distance. It has to do that you're focusing on one particular character's uh, point of view. Um, you're limiting yourself to one person's, one particular character's point of view. You can have first person limited point of view serial, which you've probably seen in that you move from one first person point of view to another first person point of view, usually by chapter. So it's not omniscient because they're really separate. Um, and you'll see that a lot with third person limited serial. See, you see that in books all the time these days that we get one person, third person uh, perspective and then the next and the next chapter and the next. And that's, and that's generally considered serial limited third person. Okay, I'm gonna let these guys talk and I'll shut up. Um, 
third person limited in fiction. Why use it? Why avoid it? When Whitney, what has been your experience with this point of view choice? Um, hi, Michelle. Morning. Hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I um, I wrote uh, the Age of Light in third person limited, and um, I I think it's I I find it to be one of the most interesting points of view for for me and. I toyed around a bunch as I was writing my novel. I started, I think I started in third person. I I tried it out in first person and then I went back to third person and 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 landed there and stayed there. And for me, I did that for a couple reasons. I mean, I think that um well, first off, I think playing around with points of view is really helpful when writing a novel. Um, yes, it helped me get to know my character. Uh, so when I put it into first person, which of course feels intimate and uh, you're you know you're literally inside the head of your character, that helped me really, I think, access what what that person was feeling and how she was seeing the world. And then to then take that and put it back into third person felt helpful too because it became this um, marriage, which I think is what third person limited does really well of this internal um, view of the world that that your character can have merged with the, the thoughts and language and uh, descriptive qualities that the, that the author can, can bring to it that then don't have to be totally filtered completely through the character's experience. So I loved that. Um, I loved, writing historical fiction in third person limited. I can talk about that more later um, because I want to hear what Linda has to say yeah. <laughs> instead of just talking and talking. But um, I think, I think it works really well for historical fiction in particular. So I'm, I'm the book that I'm working on now. I've done the same damn thing. I started it in third. I went to first. I've actually gone back and forth a bunch of times, but now I'm, I'm back in third person limited. And I think, I think that's, um, I think that's for me the most effective way to, um, to, to get into the draft. Fantastic. And so you're paying attention to what's happening on the page. You're paying attention to how the book is becoming um, in terms of making those decisions. And you're keeping it loose at first, which I think is very important. Linda, how about you? Thanks, Michelle. And thanks, Whitney. And uh, just wanted to second that uh, Whitney's Age of Light is a really outstanding um, example of this point of view choice. <laughs> so thank you. Whitney for writing that wonderful, wonderful book. Um, yeah, I have a similar uh, situation uh, to Whitney, though I kind of went in the opposite direction, which is that um, my uh, new project that I'm working on now um, started out in third person limited, and then I shifted to first person. Um, I would say that, you know, in some ways, you know, obviously in some, you know, I think like third person limited is kind of, you know, the rock star of all the points of view. You get to enjoy your own writing sensibility, um, however lyrical you want to be. You get to do all the tricks that you possess and share your own writing voice and style, but you still get to retain this really wonderful close intimacy with your point of view character. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I, I loved that I was writing a novel that I felt I wanted to maintain a little bit of ironic distance. Uh, so third person limited seemed to work really well for me in that, um, in, in that sense. Um, as I was writing, however, I started to shift a few things around that made that, that drew me to uh, first person point of view. And I can talk a little more about that later. Excellent, excellent. Um, actually, well, 
why don't we venture into that now? What are sure. the problems with third person limited? Because Linda, you were saying before we actually started, we do a little secret chat before everyone gets in. And that, so that's why it's fun. You said you, you, you left this point of view and, and you've gone to first person. Um, why? Like what, what has been about that transition for you? Right. Well, first, uh, just to go back to what Whitney said before, I do think that experimenting with different points of view is, is really, really helpful. Um, you know, we think often about what, what the, the point of view will um, convey to the reader, but it also can convey things to the author. Uh, one thing I realized in my writing process was that when I started shifting into first person point of view, it became clearer to me what my protagonist wanted. It was almost as if I needed my protagonist just to tell me outright in her own voice yeah. what it was she wanted. Uh, suddenly everything seemed clearer to me. So wherever you are in your writing process in terms of um, maybe using third person limited, um, think about you know, experimenting with first person, maybe for a paragraph or a page, rewriting a scene in first person, just to see if maybe that evokes different things for you. Uh, and I would suggest the opposite as well. Yeah, uh, For me, uh, my protagonist specifically is, you know, in a, um, uh, shall we say, harrowing dystopic situation in which I wanted the reader to only, only see things coming as she saw them coming. And the immediacy a first person point of view um, allowed me to deliver that information, I thought, in the way that I wanted to. Excellent. Whitney. Well, first, Linda, I'll say that's that's so interesting. I think that it's um, that you're using first person in a dystopic novel, because I feel like one of the advantages of first person can be that sense of immediacy and like the creation of familiarity for a for a, you know, weird and unknown situation for the reader. So th so that's um, that's really interesting. Although, I mean, really, I guess the same could be said about, about historical novels where, uh, which many of which are, I think, written in first person, probably for that same reason, I would imagine where, you know, if you're writing about the 1500s and nobody knows what it is, if you have a first person narrator kind of guiding you through that, I think that that, um, that can be really helpful for the reader. Um, I, I found I loved using third person though, because, one of the things that I find really fascinating about historical fiction um, is that no matter what you do, <laughs> you are a modern writer writing about a time that's not your own. And I think that I find that fascinating because I think that this, this sort of overlay of the sort of modern writer's mind on top of a time period that you're trying to channel um, it creates something new, you know, uh, rather than like, okay, I could go back and I could read a book written in 1920. Like there's going to be a different experience than reading a book that was written in 2020 about the 1920s. And so third person, I think, acknowledges that to some degree and um, allows you to, to kind of play with bringing in this like light touch of a modern sensibility on top of uh, the historicity. Yes, because otherwise... You're, you could be stuck with using a first person narrator that has to use the language of the time period. It might then that might not be what you want to do. Um, yeah. Like Lauren Groff's most recent book, Matrix, she actually didn't even use dialogue. Um, and I can't remember how. Do you remember how old that? But it, I can't remember what year that goes back oh, to. Oh, it's very, it very old. Like the 1200s or the 1300s yeah. or something like that. So she, 
she just didn't want to be having nuns talking about talking in this language. So she actually even paraphrased the dialogue um, so that she didn't have to, to go there. So for historical fiction, it very much frees you from having to use the um, language of the time. Um, With historical fiction too, if you use first person, you have to fill in a lot of details about what's going on in terms of things like, you know, how much things cost, what a, what a venue looks like, what people are wearing. And it becomes that sort of artificial thing where the first person narrator is describing a lot of stuff that they wouldn't necessarily be thinking about if they just existed in that world. Whereas limited third person lets you convey all that information, give all those details of the historical situation uh, in a way that's much more seamless. That's that's totally true, actually. And that's really interesting because in a way it feels like uh, first person can can create this intimacy and can get the reader f- feeling very close to uh, the the world of the book very quickly. But the downside of that is exactly what you just said that 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 then every single piece of explanatory or expository information is kind of then channeled through that that person as well. And so that might actually be more challenging than doing it in third person. Yeah. So I love I love that we've actually got a historical fiction writer and Whitney I don't know if your next book is also historical fiction is are you still working in historical fiction yeah I I am currently all the, well I'm like ping ponging between things but yes I'm writing I'm writing a piece yes of I think the p- <laughs> pandemic leads to that sort of <laughs> I was writing three books at once um, and then and then Linda working in dystopian because so third person is excellent in providing context. Um, to uh, your character's experiences within history. And that can be really, really necessary. Um, And also add tension and add interest. Like there's a reason why you're writing in that particular period in time with those particular people. Dystopian, however, you might wanna do a lot of world building. You might wanna do that same context, but getting at the mystery of the dystopian world and, and at the fear of the dystopian world through the first person, I think is a really interesting move. Um, so those, those, those decisions, I think, work extremely well. And it's interesting that you both bounce back and forth between them. Uh, we do have a question in the um, Q&A. Christine is asking, how tricky is it to jump from one person to another within a book? So she said, I thought, um, so, so this might be um, if you're doing serial third person or if you even, because you'll see a lot of books that actually do this, um, you'll, you'll have a serial third person and suddenly you'll have a first person. Um, have you had experience with that, with trying to jump within the book or even thought about that and then decided not to do it, Whitney? Um, that is something that I've been playing with actually with this draft that I'm working on now is having a couple different voices um, in the same, a, a couple different third person voices in the same novel. Um, and I think actually that word voice, I think is, uh, is one that we should probably talk about more here because, you know, I think one of the differences between third and first person is to me, like first person, first person is a little scary to me because I feel like it's so dependent on voice and the best first person narrators, the ones that I love the most are the ones that are super voicey. And so as a writer, I always think like, I don't know, I find it, I find it a little intimidating, actually, the idea of creating this consistent, unique, fascinating voice that can pull a character through a whole novel. Um, And the idea of doing multiple first person narrators in a novel is even more, is even more yeah, frightening. I um, don't recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Have you done it, Michelle? I have. 
Oh yeah. I wanted I mean, to shoot myself. Yes. I don't recommend yeah, it. It seems, it seems hard. And the books that I've read that are written that way uh, with the exception, I think of thrillers. Um, I often think are really, yeah, they, they sort of, they have mixed success, you know, yeah. but, but to do like three, you know, to do a few different voices in third person, I think um, you've, it feels to me as if you can have that kind of a little bit more of that consistency of the, the tone um, and the ner narrative style throughout, throughout all of the different sections. Right. And but though you will still see the voice in serial third person. So again, serial third yeah. person, serial first person means that you are moving um, either between uh, different first person narrators within the book, usually by chapter or um, moving between different limited third person choices, uh, usually by chapter. And so you, you actually will see that a lot. Um, in third person, you can bend the voice a little bit and you'll see this to the character as you're making the moves from one to another and that's that's what i normally see is the difference between third person serial and omniscient omniscient normally has a, a much more even voice throughout but you don't have to bend it nearly as much as you do in first person so it's 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 a little easier to handle that way um let's see so we have can you write an unreliable narrator in third person close um Absolutely. I love this question. Uh, I think that third person uh, close absolutely uh, has room for unreliable narrators. I mean, we think that that is, you know, that first person uh, point of view is the territory for the unreliable narrator, right? We all learn this in high school, but third person close holds up a lot of possibilities as well. Uh, one really remarkable example that I would recommend is Nella Larson's Harlem Renaissance novel, Passing. Oh yeah. Uh, point of view character there has a lot of misconceptions, shall we put it, uh, about what she wants. Um, and they are slowly revealed to the reader. I'm going to put this up. It's already- I just, I put it there. Larson's I'm ahead of you. <laughs> yep. Um, you can find uh, versions of this text online for free um, through Project Gutenberg um, and some other uh, venues, and uh, it is remarkable. And um, I think what's what's nice with this is that you slowly can get into the mindset of the character, um, and the author can add in a few more surrounding details um, that cause you to start to question what's going on with your viewpoint character. Yes. And so that's it. I actually think there is no narrative point of view that's not unreliable because <laughs> I, I, I just don't I just don't believe that someone can tell a story without biases, um, without without bl blind spots. Um, so I think playing with unreliability is really fun. And it's also one of the, the most fun things in fiction. And it's something that you really can't do as well in other art forms. Um, and so really thinking about it, even in third person, who is your implied narrator? Because lots of times we don't even think about who is, who's the narrator in third person. We think they're just some entity that exists somewhere. Um, but your reader is getting information that there's somebody. So they're getting information in terms of what the narrator knows, how old the narrator is, where the narrator exists in time. Um, they're getting, and so they're, they're, they're building a loose picture of the narrator and it's helpful if you are in control of that um, because it helps you get across what you're trying to say. And I think the the unreliability in third person, it's it's coming from the, the narrative distance or the psychic distance that the 
that you're taking to your character. Like you can be in third person, but have it be as close to that person's actual experience and, and thoughts as if you were in first person. Um, and so that's fun to play around with too, I think. And you can, obviously you can like move super close in and, and have it come sort of channeled through them more and then, and then pull away. I know you're going to talk about that in another one of these sessions too. Yeah. Yeah. We all just get little bits with each session, but yeah. Another, um, so a question in the chat and maybe some of you like, so what are some of your favorite third person limited novels, including third person limited novels that might be doing the serial third? Cause it's really quite common. Um, but do you have recommendations for these guys of, of books that they can look at? Linda, do you have Rex? You've already given us Nella's, Nella Lars's passing. Nope, oh, Linda, you're, you're on mute. She looks so excited um, on me. I'm looking over. I know I got so excited. I, <laughs> I didn't turn off my mute. I'm looking over at my bookshelf right now to try to find some examples of serial um, that do this work. Um, Dan Sean's work does it a lot. Interesting. Um, and I'm also, I should, yeah, I, I have to look at my bookshelf, but you, you actually see it. It's probably one of the most common Hmm. point of view choices these days because people don't like to stay in one point of view mm -hmm. they like to have several different um tommy orange's novel there there yes. i think was also serial third person mm -hmm. um you really will see it quite often mm -hmm. can you think of some examples um well so i was you know i just read steve allman's new book which i'm oh which, yes i think it's all third person it's definitely serial points of view and i i don't think any of them are first person um, but he, he jumps around between, I think like four different characters. Uh, it's called, um, all, all the secrets of the world. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. Something like that. yeah. Um, a, an example of a, of a, a non-serial third person point of view book that I just love is Wolf Hall. Um, I think, yes. I think that is such an amazing example of, of using, using a, a close third person limited point of view to great effect. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and Linda, I didn't get to you on this question. Have you ever considered jumping, using that sort of serial in your books, um, jumping from points of views in your books? Have you, or have you been like, no way I'm doing that. I have a hard enough time. <laughs> Which there is an argument to be made to stick with one point of view. Right. I mean, the challenge that you're holding out for yourself, if you do that, is you need to make sure uh, that each one feels distinct right? Um, it can't just be that you want to move between these points of view to keep certain things, say, secret from your reader um, or something like that. They actually need to sound a little bit different. And that is really challenging, right? There, there, needs, there needs to be um, uh, a reason for that, um, for that movement in the text. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really tricky. I think it's beyond my skill set. I'm just sticking to one person at a time myself. Um, I'm a grand yeah. admirer of people who feel uh, able to do this for sure. Um, I also thought of The Believers by Re Rebecca Mackay. Isn't that third person serial? Um, and so what she does too, she's also moving in time. Um, so again, when you, when you make those moves between point of view and time, Think about the transitions in between. And we talked about this before about batons or, or pivot points that will give you something at the end of a chapter. It might be an image. It might be a word. 
Um, it might be a person that you can then repeat at the beginning of the next section that gives you some um, crossover. Um, another question we have, can you talk about why an author might want to make a narrator's voice more obvious versus more invisible? What effect might that have on the reader? I'm thinking about an invisible narrator might attempt to line more closely with the reader, whereas a narrator that the reader is more aware of, as if something, as, as if someone is there telling the story might also feel like another character and therefore maybe creates distance from the reader. That's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think about how to how to answer that question. I feel like, um, I mean, one of the, if you're writing in third person limited, and you, you know, you're not you're not doing like a you know Nick Carraway in Great Gatsby thing where you have like a literal person narrating the story of another person. Um, I think you one I mean one of the one of the way reasons I think that I like third person is that that even though that narrator is kind of this invisible presence, it does have its own tone and um, lyricism and descriptive ability, you know, that that can be kind of outside of what the character, how the character might talk. Um, but of course, you know, the, the more that you play with that and the more that you make that voice of the, you know, the narrator or the sort of like authorial voice different from the character, you run the exact risk that this question is asking, which is that it then sort of like, like, it, it loses that invisibility and it, it, and it becomes sort of this separate presence that the reader is um, is aware of. And when that happens, I do think that the that one of the downsides is that that then does create distance between the reader and the and the actual character. Um, I mean, you know, you could be doing that purposefully. You could right. be trying to to pull the reader away and make them like you know think about the character from from a distance. And and uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of reasons to do that. But I but there, but it, it's also a potential pitfall, I guess. Um, you know that if you do, if you don't want to do that, you should be aware that 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 might be happening in your work. I thought of um, also we had Bar Marga Livesey on her novel Fortune Street. I used um, to help me write Bottomland because she writes in big chunks mm -hmm. of point of view. She she does four points of views and she just does four sections. Three of the sections are third person limited, so she's doing third person serial. One of them is first person. And she chose to do that one person in first person because that person is kind of a pedophile. <laughs> and she wanted to be able to understand him. She wanted to be able to get inside him. And she was having trouble with it, I think, if, if, if I remember what she said correctly. Um, and so she, and she, I think she also wanted to push the reader closer to that person to have to deal with that personality, the discomfort of that, but also the humanity of that person. So it was a really interesting choice in her book. Linda, how have you um, thought about this? I mean, you chose, you might've felt that distance so much that you, you're choosing to go into first person now. Yeah, I started, I feel like I started to understand what point of view means more when I began thinking about it as an information delivery system. I think often when we talk about point of view, we're thinking, oh, I feel close to this character or they feel, you know, they feel familiar to me. I like them. I identify with them. Or conversely, I find them unreliable, unlikable, pitiful, but I, I sense who they are, right? And we think about like our feelings about them or how closely we align ourselves with them. But if you think about point of view more as an information delivery system, you, you, start, to, you start to see it really as kind of a lens that you are looking through as the author and that you are 
lending, as it were, to your reader so that they are also looking through that lens as well, right? And that becomes, uh, you know, literally the point of view through which you are seeing the world that is created in your, in your work. Yes, yes. And so I also times, I, I normally think of like, let's say you're, you're at a theater, you're watching a play and some little old guy jumps in front of the stage and starts telling you what is happening. That is the narrator. And so sometimes we need the little guy because we don't know what is going on or we, the curtain hasn't opened yet and we need some preparation for it. But sometimes we just want the little guy to get off the stage. So there is a necessity of making that little guy, the narrator, invisible sometimes and allowing us not have all fiction and, and, and even nonfiction is always mediated by the narrator's voice. It always is because there's always that narrator voice getting in between us and the action. But the, the feeling that it's not mediated, the feeling that the little guy is not there and we're just allowed to watch and observe um, can be really important. Though Then again, Steve Allman the other day, he spoke of, he referred to a book. Someone asked him, he said, you know, can you have a, a novel in which there the scene, there is no dialogue scenes and there are no real character scenes and it's the narrator that dominates. And I was kind of horrified, like, oh, what a terrible novel would that be? And Steve got all excited and named like a couple novels that do that. So I was like, okay, I guess some novels really do that. Um, and then we have Melanie, she's saying point of view equals an information delivery system. Yeah, exactly. I think what Linda just said, um, that it, that's just a perfect way to, to look at point of view. How much do you need to help your reader how much do you want to kind of leave your reader in the mystery of it? And it's a huge decision for every scene. Absolutely. Okay, we're I'm going to, need to get you guys back to your writing desks. I think this was a fantastic discussion. Thank you so, so much, Linda and Whitney. Thank you for coming, waking up this early and being with us. Um, I hope everyone gets a fantastic writing day done. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about third person and first person omniscient. Yes, first person omniscient actually exists. I love it. Um, if you support what we're doing, uh, please share, follow our podcast, uh, the 7 a.m. Novelist podcast. It's on all various podcast venues. And you can also find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Thank you, everyone. Have a fantastic writing day. Thank you, Whitney and Linda. You never wonder why there isn't nothing here at all.